Welcome to the Holy Cross Sermon Podcast. This whole year we're exploring the life and teachings of Jesus in the book of Luke. We are currently in a series called Kingdom Come. We will be looking at passages at the end of Luke where Jesus prepared his followers on how to live and partner with the work of God's kingdom. Join us now as we dive into another passage. Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask that you give us your Holy Spirit this morning to receive your word, to understand it, and to apply it so that it might bring life to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning again. So I remember hearing this story about a family who went out to a dude ranch to go on a horse ride. They all had a chance to pick their own horse. And the dad was the last to pick his horse because he had been helping all the kids get on theirs. And so as he kicked his foot into the stirrup, an old ranch hand leaning against a fence post drawled out, I don't know about that old nag, mister. She don't look so good. The dad, sweating and ready to start, said, she looks fine. Can we just get going? And the ranch hand shook his head and says, it's your ride, mister. And he motioned to the lead horse to get the thing started. The horses knew the way and they started off. About an hour later, the family returned, and the dad was covered in dust. His face was all scratched up, his shirt was torn and tattered, and he was bleeding. This is an outrage, he yelled. This horse ran into trees, tore through thorn bushes, and ran headlong into low-hanging branches. It's like she's blind. The ranch hand pulled the straw from his mouth, and he says, Well, she is. Why didn't you warn me, said the dad. I did, said the ranch hen. I told you, she don't look so good. (laughs) Uh, We're in the third week of a sermon series called Kingdom Come, looking at how Jesus is preparing the disciples for both the imminent events, the threats that come with the the temple's destruction, which is going to come in about 30 years or so, and long-term expectations. If you remember way back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he, he drew his disciples together. He called them by saying, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And here at the very end of his earthly ministry, days before his crucifixion, he's telling the disciples and us how it's going to end. Jesus doesn't want us to cry out, Jesus, why didn't you warn us? Because he has. He has warned us. And it is our need as his disciples to listen to him, to heed his warning, and to prepare for the days ahead. Jesus is telling us these things for a simple reason. Because it matters. Because we need to be prepared. You know, uh, in life, we prepare for all kinds of things, right? So if you're going to go camping, you prepare by packing the tent in the car, right? Um, If you're in a class, the professors give you a syllabus or the assignments so that you can prepare for that paper that's going to count for 40% of your grade. If you're in the workplace, you prepare for meetings so that you can accomplish your work and keep your job, right? Even at home, we prepare for things. I've been preparing for a Thanksgiving dinner, so we're not throwing together a menu at the last moment and trying to rush around and find a turkey, right? 
We prepare for things all the time to be successful, to be ready, and so that we can have peace in our life. What if, in life, what if we're preparing for things, sorry, what if we're preparing for the wrong things and are not prepared for what actually matters at all? See, throughout the Bible and Jesus' own ministry, it is clear that either ignorance or willful disobedience, or just simple distraction, people will be deceived and miss, and miss out on his eternal, abundant, perfect life. A couple weeks ago, we read in 1 Timothy that the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, those are the end times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. They'll be deceived, and they won't remain in the faith. Or perhaps you remember the parable of the great banquet that we looked at earlier in Luke. When the time comes for the banquet to be had, many people make excuses and actually miss out on the banquet, right? I've got a cow and I've got a wife and they're different. Um, (laughs) Similarly, Jesus warns that when he returns, you may have become preoccupied with other things and miss out on the heavenly, uh, heavenly banquet and miss out on his kingdom. And today's passage for us is all about being prepared for what matters. Now Jesus has prophesied about the end of the temple, that's the short sort of timeline, and then the end of all things at the end when he returns, that's the long timeline, right? And in both we can have peace even though the world might seem like it's in chaos. Last week we read, at the very end, he has said that there will be signs in the cosmos, in the sun, the moons, and the stars. There will be signs in heaven and on earth. As Christians, we should expect these things, right? Then be prepared for them. And last week we finished in Luke 21 with this. Straighten up, raise your heads. When you see these things, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And then as we look at our passage this morning, The first way Jesus makes us prepared for what actually matters is by telling us how to expect his return. Just like you know that summer has come when your trees in your yard are in bloom, right? You know that spring or summer has arrived by what's happening in the garden. Just like that, when you see these events taking place, when you see these signs taking place, uh, those in the heavens and the earth, The kingdom is near. This is a partial answer to the question that the disciples asked early on in chapter 21. He says, when they say, when will these things take place? And Jesus goes on in verse 32 to say that this generation, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all of this has taken place. Now, this is a very confusing couple of words, this generation. And much has been made out of who this generation is. But here is sort of the synopsis. In the Old Testament, this generation often refers to a type of people. Sometimes it's an evil generation. Sometimes it's a good generation. But this generation refers to a lot of different people. And then later we find in other uh, uh, Jewish manuscripts, particularly the ones found at Quran, that the last generation is referred to, uh, is a term that refers to a number of, of lifespans. The last generation includes several lifetimes. And so we put this together with the context. We know by reading this that 
the people who heard Jesus at the time, they couldn't possibly live because they're all dead now until these things have taken place. And we know that these other materials, it's likely that Jesus is saying this, that there's a kind of people who will see these signs taking place in the heavens and on the earth that will persist to the end, even if it might take several generations. There's a promise here that Jesus is making, is that when you see these things taking place, when you notice them, when you see events happening in our world that make you think that maybe Jesus is a return, the promise is not for us to be scared, but to actually look with expectation. Because he's coming soon. He's coming soon. And Jesus goes on to say that when he comes, heaven and earth will pass away. It will be complete. The complete end of heaven and earth as we know it. And Paul tells us that that event is going to actually come like a thief in the night. And Jesus' promise continues. His words continue. Jesus' own words, his promises, Jesus says, will endure You can have peace that his promise of life, despite all of the other things, are secure no matter what you experience. Even though the world may fail, Jesus says it's assured that the world may fail. Even if the world may fail, Jesus' words will not. Jesus will not fail you. Being prepared for what matters, friends, means expecting his return, expecting the end of all things, and expecting the fulfillment of his promises. And so we pick up at verse 34 with what uh, there's an Anglican, uh, uh, evangelical Anglican bishop named J.C. Ryle. And he said that this passage right here, of these verses, beginning at verse 34, uh, that they are probably the most practical, direct, plain, and heart searching passages in all of Scripture. Given the guarantee of these events that Jesus is making, Jesus turns to the disciples with this instruction. That is also a warning. He says, watch yourself. With these words, Jesus is saying, look, be careful because that horse, she's blind. The horse is the horse that distracts us. The horse is that we have a grave danger. That when the day of the Lord comes, Jesus may find us literally hungover. It says dissipation, right? That means that we are hungover from drunkenness. Or worse yet, Jesus might find us actually drunk. Now, he's talking, he's not saying that this is the only temptation. There are plenty of other temptations that aren't, don't involve alcohol. But he says, what it, the, the concern is, is that Jesus will return and he will find his disciples uh, hungover, drunk, concerned with the things of this world. Weighed down by the cares of life, Jesus says. You're preoccupied so much that you will miss his return. The day of the Lord will come like a trap. Now, here's what makes these words so startling. Because, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to miss this. I've got it figured out. I'm following Jesus, right? Uh, Trevor's not going to miss this. You might feel this way about yourself. But what makes this so startling is this, is that Jesus isn't addressing the Pharisees who seem to miss his point most of the time. He's not addressing the Herodians who were uh, sort of worldly types who were kind of in King Herod's court. He wasn't addressing pagans. You know he, who he was addressing? He was addressing the disciples, 
Jesus is telling Peter, James, and John, and all the other disciples to watch out. Because they might be preoccupied by the things of this world and miss his coming. It is a real, clear danger to the apostles that they may be given over to drunkenness and the cares of this world so that they might miss Jesus' return. Uh, J.C. Ryle goes on in his commentary to say this, that there is no sin so great, but a great saint may fall into it. And there is no saint so great, but he may fall into great sin. We are all, his point is, we are all susceptible to falling into sin. No one is so saintly, so holy, so strong to overcome the risk. And scripture proves this time, and again, just think through the Old Testament, right? All of the greats. Noah, right? He faithfully built the ark. He saved a remnant. And then he gets drunk and he sins. Right? Remember that story? Then, uh, let's see. uh, uh, Abraham, sort of the father of faith, right? He, uh, he's our great example of faithfulness. He goes off and lies to Abimelech and says that, the, that Sarah is his sister, not his wife. So much so that Abimelech nearly takes Sarah to be his own wife and, commits, and almost commits adultery. Abraham fails. David, you know, the one after God's own heart, right? He goes and sins with Bathsheba and then has her husband killed. I mean, if these are the great people of the faith, if their risk and their life proves this out, how much more so does it play out for us as well? No one is beyond falling into sin. So Jesus tells them to watch themselves, watch yourselves. And that is what Jesus wants you and me to do this morning. Take a hard look at yourself, your behaviors, and even those of your family. What weighs down your heart? What are you preparing for? Are you preparing for that next big game? Or perhaps that next bigger house? Or that wonderful vacation? These things often not only take your time but they steal your affections. Your heart wants them so much. More than often than not, we love them more than we love God. What are your preoccupations? Are you so preoccupied by your favorite sports theme that it takes all of your time, all of your resources, and all of your attention? Do you spend far more time reading about politics than you do reading the Bible? Are you driving your kids to be excellent at academics but not teaching them about Jesus? Do you send them to tutors and test preps, but not to youth group? Jesus says back in Luke 6 that out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Basically, whatever you fill your life with will be the thing that comes out. And so if we fill our lives with these other things, that is what we desire most. Most often than not, we fill our lives with things that don't actually matter in the end. And Jesus gives us a couple of responses. Not only are we supposed to watch ourselves, 
But the second thing he says there is for us to stay awake at all times. If you and I want to be people who are prepared for what matters, Jesus instructs us to stay awake. Now, he doesn't mean literally stay awake 24-7, 365, because we would not be happy people, would we? Um, no, we wouldn't. But he says stay awake. Basically, he's, what he's saying is stay spiritually alert. Be in tune with the things that God is doing. In ongoing, in regularly in an ongoing manner, continue to pray so that you might stand before the Son of God. Jesus wants us to obtain salvation. He wants us to be attentive at the end so we don't miss it. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to stand before him. And he wants to say, I receive you. Well done, good and faithful ster- servant. And this is done in two ways. We stand before Jesus first by faith. Have you trusted in him with your life over all the other things that may occupy your attention? Over a certain political party, over a wealthy, uh, worldly wealth, over a dream college, over your own sense of self-righteousness. Each one of us needs Jesus to give us his righteousness. We need to put it on like a new set of clothes so that we might stand before him at the very end. And you only get it, you only get this righteousness by renouncing the ways of the world and receiving the grace that Jesus freely offers. Hear this, friends. Jesus freely offers his grace and his forgiveness always. There's nothing you do, nothing you say, no preoccupation that you might have, no actions for which he will not forgive you. He will forgive everything and make a way so that you can stand before him. And he did it all the way to the cross, right? Like the biggest thing that keeps us from him is death because of our sin. And he goes up there and he handles it. Isn't this a beautiful thing? Isn't this an incredible thing? He handles it so that you and I can be forgiven, so that we can actually stand before him on the last day. That's good news. And so we have to first receive his grace. The second way that we're able to stand before him harkens back to a parable that we read a few weeks ago. It was the parable of the minas in which we looked, Jesus told the story of a nobleman who returned having been made king and he called his servants together to whom he had given some money and told them to put it to work. And he called them together to stand before him to give an account for what they had done. And to those who had put his mina to work, he said, well done. Well done. And he rewarded them. Friends, the way we also stand is that you and I have been given the gospel, the way you and I stand before him to give an account for the things that we've done, the way that we prepare for what matters is to put the gospel to work in our lives. It means uh, loving our neighbor. It means serving uh, the needy. It means taking the gospel to the prisons. It means feeding the people through echo. It means ministering on praise teams. And it means sitting before your family and putting down your phone and stop cultivating your Instagram posts and cultivate your kids' hearts for Jesus. See, we're to put the gospel to work so that when we stand before Jesus on the last day, he says, oh, well done. 
oh, that was great. It's the grace of God. Friends, if you want to root out the cares of this life, devote your energy to preparing others for the life to come. It's a beautiful thing. The final thing that Jesus shows us in this passage is actually by his own actions. So he tells us to watch out lest we let the cares of this world deceive us and make us uh, unaware when he returns and therefore miss out on eternity. He says, uh, uh, stay awake and pray. And the third thing he shows us is to worship. Do you notice this at the very end? It's the last two verses. Jesus, just days before he's going to the cross, you know what he does every day? He goes to the temple and worships the Father. He goes to the place where God dwells. He lives out a life of worship. Friends, we are to be prepared for Jesus' return. We are to expect it. We are to stay awake. We are to pray that we won't miss it. And we are to go about the good work that he's prepared for us to do. And we are to continue in worship. That's how you and I prepare for what matters. That's the way you and I prepare for what matters. It's also the way you and I focus in on Jesus. We won't miss it if we're always asking him what he's doing. We won't miss it if we're always reading his word. We won't miss it if we're talking to other people about him. This is what he's called us to do. As we engage in ministry, as we put the gospel to work, as we worship him, our attention will be on Jesus. And in this, you'll be prepared for what matters. So that guy on the horse, right? He didn't heed the warning, and he ended up battered and bruised. But Jesus, he's not talking about something recoverable. No, the kingdom of God will come like a thief in the night. There will not be an opportunity for us to negotiate or to make a last-minute confession. And the question is, are you ready? We apply this simply this morning. Examine yourself. Is there anything distracting you? Is there anything drawing your attention away from Jesus? Prepare yourself for what matters. Stay awake and pray worship. In just a moment, in this service, we're going to do two things, among many. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to stand and we're going to say what we believe using the words of the Nicene Creed. We are claiming the promises of Jesus. The second thing we'll do is we will confess our sins. We we repent. Let us repent of our preoccupations, our drunkenness, whatever it is, and hear his words of forgiveness. And then let us devote ourselves to his work and the gospel. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you desire for us to obtain salvation and that you have made this possible through your death and resurrection. We eagerly await your return, Lord Jesus. And we ask that you now draw to our minds those things that distract us from you and then prepare us for your return. Help us to stay awake. Help us to stay active in your work. Help us to worship you. Prepare us for what matters, Lord Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen.